continue in the Gospel of Mark today. We're in Mark chapter 6. We're going to take verses 30 through 44. It's a story we all know. When Jesus is going to multiply two fish, five loaves of bread, and feed the multitudes. You know, it was just a, just a few weeks ago, Amanda and I were on our trip out west. We did our 20-year anniversary trip early. Our anniversary isn't until June, but her spring break came up and we decided to, uh, you know, seize the day, take off. And we went out to um, um, Zion National Park in Bryce Canyon. We hiked all day. We hiked about six to seven miles a day, and we would pack our, our lunch, which was basically just a bunch of snacks. Uh, we would just pack breakfast and lunch like protein bars or trail mix, you know, some Slim Jims, that kind of thing. And then as we went along hiking, we would, we would just snack all day long. And, it, and then every evening we would go out to this big dinner and we'd have a big steak or something like that. And I was surprised. I, I'm, not, I'm not typically a really big eater. I've never been a really big eater. And, but man, after hiking six to seven miles a day, I didn't realize how, how much I could eat if I was super hungry, right? Because every single day we'd have this big, you know, I had a 16-ounce steak and, and a potato and squash and zucchini sautéed and I'd get dessert. and I mean, I would just gorge on this food and I could not believe how much I could eat. And I was, I was still, I could still eat when I was done eating. I was just so hungry every single day after hiking that much. Um, and the snacks weren't cutting it, uh, but I, I didn't realize it until I got to dinner. Well, today's story in, in, in Scripture, Mark chapter 6, is this miraculous moment where people are hiking like six to seven miles to get to Jesus. They're running from every direction, anticipating where Jesus is headed before he gets there to hear him preach. But what they're really after is they're after the miracles, right? They're going to show up there famished. They're going to show up there super hungry, and he's going to put on a feast to feed them all. And this is a unique miracle in Scripture because it's mentioned in all four Gospels. That is rare. you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Aside from the resurrection, this moment where Jesus feeds the multitudes is the only miracle that's in all four Gospels. Typically, when you study a miracle, it's either in just one Gospel or two Gospels, Sometimes three, even that's rare, but to be in all four Gospels, I think that's significant. Every single time a Gospel writer set out to record the Gospel of Jesus, led by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit would say to them, don't leave this out, don't forget this. I want everyone to know about how Jesus fed the multitudes. And so in all four Gospels we see our King Jesus putting on this feast. Now, we just studied a king putting on a feast, didn't we? Last week, if you were here, we studied about the beheading of John the Baptist and how it took place at a feast. It was King Herod. Now, I don't think it's by chance, right, this is under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that we were meant to see this feast taking place with this earthly King Herod, and then immediately afterwards, we're, we're taught about this feast that our King Jesus puts on and feeds the multitudes. We're supposed to see a little compare and contrast there. King Herod, for example, his feast, it's, for, it's for exclusively for the elite. Only the important people are there, and he's got the best cuisine, the best wines are there, no doubt, and even the entertainment, which is disturbing, as we talked about last week. And you compare that to Jesus' feast that we're about ready to... To, to study. We're just going to see a bunch of common folk there. 
You know, every, uh, just, just the, the, the average Joe is going to be at his feast, and he just has some bread and fish, the plainest meal you could think of. And he's going to multiply that. But yet, when we, when we study King Herod's feast, this earthly king, it, it ends in discontentment. It ends in death. The feast that our king's going to put on leads to fulfillment in life. King Herod, he's desperate to be known as king. He's going to make every decision that he has to in order to retain his kingship. What do we notice about Jesus up to this point? He's desperate to keep his kingship uh, quiet, to keep it a secret. He doesn't want it to get out yet, not, not, before, not before his hour arrives, right? King Jesus, he's going to prove his title through perfect obedience. King Herod, he took everything from everybody else and, and, and gave it to himself to stay king. Jesus gives everything of himself so that we can all be a part of his kingdom. That's the difference and earthly king, kings and our king Jesus. He's a way better king, and he's going to put on a way better feast. So turn to Mark chapter 6. We're just going to go a, a, a couple verses at a time to really kind of get into the details of this moment in Scripture that's in every single gospel and, and think about how we can apply this teaching to our lives and, and what it teaches us about our king, Jesus. Let's just start with verses 30 through 32. It says, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. So here we see, once again, the disciples are returning from a missionary journey. Now, What's happened in the immediate context is that this shift has taken place, right? So he's now sending out the apostles to preach with his authority. That's the distinction between a disciple and, a, and an apostle. They were his students, and now they're his students with his authority. So, they, so we call them apostles. He sends them out. They teach the message that has the same authority Jesus taught with. And they are able to do miracles like Jesus did miracles. Not many people recognize that when they're studying the gospel, that Jesus wasn't the only one doing miracles. His apostles were eventually allowed to do them as well. And that's, that, that's how the, the, his ministry just rapidly expanded. So they had come back after this you know, two or three day journey. And they're, they're just so full of stories. They want, to tell, they want to tell Jesus everything that they had done, everything they had taught. I got to do this. I got to do that. I had this experience with this family and this experience with, with this uh, diseased, stricken man. And, and, he, and he was healed. It was incredible. I mean, I, I just can't imagine the, the, uh, the high, the ministry high that they were on. And they wanted to tell Jesus all about it. But when you think like all of the crowds following Jesus around when he was doing this, now the 12 apostles are, are doing it as well. So the crowds are that much bigger. When they come back to tell Jesus, all those crowds are following them. And so wherever they go, more and more and more people show up. And when they are all together, all the crowds are together. And the crowd can get overwhelming, as we've already seen that happen in the Gospel of Mark. So they decide, man, we can't even eat a meal right now. It's so crowded and there's so many people coming and going. We just need to get away for a little bit. And we've seen them at this point already, too where they had to get away from the crowds. Remember where Jesus would take his disciples and, and sail across the Sea of Galilee to go to Gentile territory where the Jews weren't. And they did that to get away from the crowds sometimes. They had to, get a, had to take a break. Of course, when they get there, it doesn't pan out very well, does it? You got the, the man possessed with legion is there, and they have this experience with the whole community there. 
They're just trying to get away from people, and they're trying to get away from people again for just a moment, and it's going to go bad again. They're trying to get to a desolate place to get some time away, and it's not going to pan out the way they intended again. Look at verse 33. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And so the way that you would travel by boat, if you, can, if you want to get like a, a visual on this, you would get in the boat and you would, you would sail out a little ways into the water and typically go along the shoreline. A lot of time to get where you were going. You would utilize the wind and, then you're, and, and you would go along the coast and, and follow it to where you were wanting to go. So they were, if you were on the shore, you could still see them. And all of those crowds that had followed them back to Jesus now see them in the boat and they're going along the shoreline and telling everyone along the way, hey, I bet you they're going to that same place, that same desolate place that they've gone before where Jesus is known to preach and stuff like that. Let's get there ahead of them. And so as they go along, they're going probably six to seven, ten miles maybe. That would be pretty typical back then to go on foot that far. And so they're getting there ahead of them. And so the crowd that is there, once they get there, is bigger than what it was when they left, right? They leave this crowd, they get away from this, these people, and by the time they come back to shore, even more people are there waiting on them because they want to experience more of this ministry. So, you know, you've had some of those days where you're just exhausted, you got to get away from people, you're trying to just chill for a little bit. And then more people show up, or you get more than more, there are more things to do. Let's see Jesus' response once he sees this massive crowd that he was trying to get away from. What does he do when, he, when he's confronted with this crowd again? Well, we see in verse 34. When he, went, when, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. I think it's, it's so soothing to me to know that this crowd, though he was trying to get a, reasonably trying to get a break from this crowd, he doesn't see this crowd as this major nuisance in his life. He sees this crowd and he has compassion on them. He, he loves them. What a great king. The description there, they're like sheep without a shepherd. He sees them, he knows it's going to be a lot of work, he knows they're all wiped out. But they're just desperate to come in contact with his ministry, and he has compassion on them. Now, the earthly kings we've studied, like King Herod, right? All the, only the elite get to go to his party. But Jesus sees this mass crowd. You know it's full of everyone. It's full of the good, bad, and the ugly. People with magnetic personalities are in there. People with personalities you can't stand to be around are in there. You know, the good-looking people are in there. The ugly people are in there, too. <laughs> the, the, the people that are a joy to be around, the people that are not so much a joy to be around. Jesus sees that whole crowd and he has compassion on all of them. He wants to minister to all of them. They're like sheep without a shepherd. Now that's common Old Testament language. When you're reading in the Old Testament, you'll see that phrase used in Numbers and 1 Kings and Chronicles, 1 Chronicles, you'll see that in Ezekiel where God's people are often described as like sheep without a shepherd. They need that leader. They need taught. And so Jesus embraces that. He has compassion on them. And he starts doing what he came to do. Teach them. He's about the teaching. Right? Jesus is about 
sharing the gospel of the kingdom with them. The miracles are always secondary. I know how I'm going to express my compassion on them. I'm going to teach them truth. That's how I can best tend this flock. So he began to teach them many things. Now, don't underestimate how hard it would be to, to communicate to this crowd. I have so many luxuries, right? Our crowd is, is uh, nothing like that crowd. And I have this PA system. I don't have to yell or raise my voice or anything like that. We just need Tony to lift the volume knob if I'm too quiet. So when you got this many people, this mass crowd of people coming out, to communicate to all of them as a group effort. Now, we're told in Mark, we'll see the very last verse in the passage we're studying today, that there were 5,000 men there. When we look into Matthew, like this is in all four Gospels again, so whenever you get a story that's in all four Gospels, you've you got to get all the details in all four Gospels to get the fullest picture. And so what we're told in Matthew's Gospel is that this is 5,000 men and their families. And so you think the families were massive back then. And so if everybody just brought a few members of their family, right, this is a huge crowd. So scholars estimate this could be upwards of 20,000 people in this crowd. So it's anywhere between 10 to 20,000 people showing up. And this is going to have to be a group effort to communicate the gospel to this crowd. No doubt Jesus would teach and the, the disciples would then work through the crowd, relaying his teaching to other parts of the crowd so that everyone could hear this message. I mean, I, I think the, the, the feat of strength that it would take to communicate alone is miraculous, right? Just to teach all of these people about the gospel. So that here they are in this desolate place and the disciples are about to recognize something very obvious here. Uh, everyone's going to get tired, we're out in the middle of nowhere, and everybody's going to need something to eat. So we better wrap things up. All these people are going to get hungry. What are we going to do? You think even if there was a, a brand new grocery store that just opened up in the middle of nowhere, there wouldn't be enough food for 20,000 people. This is a massive, massive crowd. And so the disciples are starting to, to plan for this. Listen to 35 through 36. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. So the disciples think, or they're, they're, you know, they're doing some of this like, all right, time to wrap it up, Jesus. <laughs> you know, we're, we're already tired. We've already just, we've just gotten back from our missionary trip as well. And, and here we are, we've worked all day and we've communicated this message with you. This has been an amazing, awesome day together, Jesus, but we better wrap it up. We're, we were already wiped out before this started. Now we're super tired. I bet you everybody here is pretty hungry. Maybe we ought to, you know, send, the, send them on their way. They've hiked a long way here. They, they ran along the shoreline for miles. They're all famished. Better, better send them home. At least at this point, they could maybe have a chance to get home before dark. At least at this point, they could make it to the nearest village and find somewhere to get some food. So they're, they're putting the, the crowd first, we think. Maybe, maybe, maybe the disciples are putting themselves first. And they're like, we just want to chill, Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says to him. This is a fascinating response here in verse 37. Verse 37 says, if I can find it here. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Why would he say that? 
But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? So what, what did, why did Jesus say that? How did he say it? These are some of the details that we don't get a complete picture of. Whenever Jesus says something, you know, I may emphasize certain parts of the statement and make it sound a certain way. And, and, I, and I'm trying to do my best to, to communicate this as it happened. But how did he say, you give them something to eat? Was he being sassy a little bit there? You give them something to eat. That's kind of the way I'm inclined to read that. But I don't think that's what's happening here. I think, and this, this is just speculation, and, 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 and several scholars think this as well. We remember this, that shift that happened just in the, previous, uh, in, in the previous chapter. They're apostles now. They can do miracles, right? He has empowered them to do sign, signs and wonders. When Jesus says to them, you give them something to eat, it could be that he's telling them to multiply food and do a miracle. I think that's interesting to think of. And so, obviously, the disciples don't catch on to it, right? They don't have a category for this. They've seen Jesus raise people from the dead. It made sense when they are, are empowered to do those miracles that he can do, that they would, they would raise people from the dead. And they see Jesus cleanse a leper. They go out and they can cleanse a leper. They see Jesus heal someone uh, of, or, or cast out demons or, or heal a disease. And so they go out and they do what they saw Jesus do because he gave them authority to do that. And so now he says, you give them something to eat, but they've not seen Jesus multiply food. They don't have a category for this. They don't, they don't have this idea even in their mind. And so their first inclination is, uh, well, should I go get 200 denarii worth of bread and feed this crowd? Is that what you're asking us to do out here in the middle of nowhere? And that is sarcasm, we know for sure, because one denarius would be like a, a full day's wage. You work all day long, you get one denarius. And so they say to him, should we get 200 denarii? Should I go get a whole year's salary, Jesus, and then go, you know, get some bread and, and bring it back to this crowd? Is that what you mean when you say, give them something to eat? Now, when you read John's account of this gospel, we know that Philip speaks up and he's like, hey, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't even do it. Even if we could come up with this money, Jesus, if we got that much bread and brought it back here, it wouldn't even be enough to feed this crowd. What do you mean? Give them something to eat. Jesus pushes it a little further. Look in verse 38. And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. So he sends them out. Now, again, we're, we're putting, I'm doing the homework for you. I'm, I'm looking at all the four Gospels. I'm grabbing those details, trying to give you that fuller picture. When you look in John's gospel that's John chapter 6 by the way when you look in his account we see that it's a little boy that's there this little boy is part of the crowd he's there with his dad maybe with maybe with his mom we don't know he, he's just we don't know what the connection is we make all this speculation but he's there with five barley loaves and two fish and they take it from him <laughs> I want to know the details there that's another detail we don't have it, are they related to this kid? Does someone know this kid? Is this some, is this some kid that like Philip goes up to and, hey, I want to take you lunch, kid. Thanks. Now scram, beat it. This is for Jesus. I don't. We don't know the details. <laughs> How does that go down? Is this the only 
responsible human being in the entire crowd of 20,000 people and that thought to pack their lunch. Maybe he had a really good mom that packed his lunch that day and he was prepared and all the other kids looked at him and thought, wow, I wish my mom would have packed my lunch. I'm getting famished out here. We don't, we don't know. But he has five loaves of bread. How many loaves of bread does this kid have, right? Five loaves of bread, that sounds like a tremendous amount of bread. If I have five loaves of bread with me, like I'm going to, to feed an army. But it's, our context of bread is way different than their context of bread, okay? So five barley loaves of bread. Think pita bread, think like, like crackers. This is like five large crackers or flat bread and two fish. So a really common way to prepare fish in that day would be like pickled fish or, or like smoked, smoked fish or dried fish. Uh, and so you would, you would have uh, some crackers and, and fish and you'd put the fish on the crackers and have yourself a little fish cracker sandwich. Sounds great, doesn't it? But that, the, the detail that we're given that this is a boy that has five crackers and, and two fish, this tells us that this was a meal that wasn't even enough for a grown man. This is a, a packed lunch for a child. That's how much food they were able to find after Jesus said, go and gather up all the food you can find. Let's continue in verses 39 through 40. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. Why are we given the detail that the grass is green? This is something that whenever I read through scripture, there's certain things pop out to me. They're sitting down in the green grass. Are we told that they're sitting down in green grass because we, are, we need to be informed as to what time of year it was? Like when we think of that part of the world, we typically don't even think of green grass, do we? We think of like kind of dry uh, terrain, desert-like terrain. But actually, you know, in springtime over there, they will have green grass. And so this is very common in that, in that part of the world. But so we could be uh, just being told that this is springtime. The grass is green. It's beautiful outside, just like today. But I think we're being told something more than that. He's, he tells them to sit down in the green grass. Like a good shepherd, he tells the sheep, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He's, he's having compassion on this crowd. He wants to lead them. He loves them. And they immediately sense that. And so when he has 20,000 people sit down, they're content to trust in his provisions. And they just sit down in the grass. I can't even get Reese's Little League team to take a knee in a semicircle. <laughs> right? And we got... 20,000 people in groups of 50 and 100 sitting down waiting on to see what Jesus does with that kid's lunch. And in that moment, what are they thinking he's going to do with that, with that lunch? Did he just do, is he just going to eat that kid's lunch in front of us? What's he doing with that lunch? 41 through 44. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. Keep, keep the, that word satisfied in your mind. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. That boy's packed lunch 
turns into enough food to where everyone can eat and be satisfied. They don't just get a snack, which that's what that meal would have amounted to, to a grown man. That would have been a snack. That would have just gotten you by a little bit. But he, he turns it into a meal that completely satisfies them. Now, if you look at the Greek word for satisfied, it's kortadzo. It means gorged. You're so full, you're stuffed. They gorged on this five loaves of bread and two fish. It was multiplied to the point in which they ate like a Thanksgiving dinner. I just imagined them lying in the green grass with like a fishbone picking their teeth. They're so full. They couldn't possibly eat another bite. So full, eating bread that wasn't prepared. It was multiplied. It didn't exist moments ago. So full from eating mass quantities of fish that never swam. They were never caught. They were just multiplied there. I have so many questions. It was miraculous. It's, it's beyond our understanding. But there was so much food there, they not only, he not only stuffed the crowd, there were 12 baskets full of broken pieces of fish when they were done. 12 baskets, that's a perfect number in scripture, right? We got the 12 tribes of, of Israel, we got the 12 apostles, this is a perfect number. Now there's 12 baskets of leftovers. He multiplied it to perfection. Don't think that those 12 baskets were just by chance. It's, it's with precision that there was 12 baskets of leftovers. Now, this isn't the point of the story, but this is a practical application of this text that I think is so profitable to think about. Think of how pathetic, how pathetic that offering was. Go, go feed them. Round up all the food. Let's feed them. Here's five crackers and two fish, Jesus. How pathetic is that? They brought five crackers and two fish. When they brought that to Jesus, it's pitiful. Here, we, let's feed the whole crowd. Here's everything you asked for. It's the best we could do. That, that, that is one of the most encouraging truths of this text, that they bring so little to Jesus, and he uses that in, in an all-sufficient way to perfectly satisfy the entire crowd. Like when you do stuff for, for, the, for the sake of the kingdom, when you, when you serve, when you give, Sometimes it feels so insignificant and so small and so pitiful. And it feels so small that sometimes we talk ourselves out of even doing it. Well, I got five bucks I could put in the offering plate, but I'm pretty sure that's not going to help the journey make the budget, so I won't even bother doing it, right? That's, that, this is the mindset we have. Well, I would serve, but, you know, it's just it's, it's such a minuscule thing in the, in the grand scheme of things. And when I think about our ministry as a whole, even, I can't help but think, like, you look at the need that's in this community alone. The need, the, the lost, the people that have never been in church their entire life. They don't know the gospel. They, they've never been presented truth. And we're trying to serve and love these people. And this is our best effort. A couple hundred people in a room. Just a, such a small effort. It seems so pathetic. But God takes what is so small. And he does whatever he wants with it. He, he takes what is so small with so little, and he multiplies it to perfectly provide for his, his kingdom. Right now, all over the planet Earth, there's these little, small, pathetic gatherings with these minuscule efforts for the kingdom. But Jesus takes all of those small efforts, and he expands his kingdom around the Earth. And he does it in a sufficient way. 
It's, it's incredible. It's so encouraging. So don't, don't ever think what little you do is insignificant. Don't ever think what little you can do for the kingdom doesn't matter. Jesus took five crackers and two fish from a small child and fed 20,000 people with it. What little that boy gave was enough. And so you and I should walk away with that teaching, with that truth. Hold that with you as you do the little things this week in your life. As you, as you apply the gospel and live out your faith in those little ways, know that God will sufficiently expand his kingdom through that. It is important kingdom work. It is significant. So in, in John 6, we get several more details about this moment. And you know, if you've heard me preach at the journey, I have an obsession with John chapter 6. That's my favorite chapter of the entire Bible, and I find a reason to go back to it every time I possibly can. So in John chapter 6, we see after these people get fed, there's, there's like a frenzy that takes place. They get so excited, so overly excited that Jesus has fed them all. They want to take him by force and make him the literal earthly king there in Israel. They, they are so encouraged and excited about this miracle. And they're all, you know, this, this, is, our, this is our meal ticket. This is the guy. This is the one we've been waiting for. This is the one that's going to that's gonna turn the tide. This is the one that's going to change our lifestyle right now. We've been wanting things to change. Now it's going to happen. We want more stuff. We want a better lifestyle. We want to we live a better life right now, and this is the guy that's going to get us that. So they're ready to take him by force and just install him as the king of Israel. And that's not what Jesus was about. He, he came to be a different type of king. He, he came for something, he came to fulfill a need that was so much greater than that. And he became frustrated with them. It grieved him, so he withdrew from them. We see that he goes away to a mountain. He gets away, as you see in John chapter 6, he gets away by himself on a mountain because he's frustrated with them. He goes to spend time with the Father and to pray. Well, when he comes down from that mountain the next day, guess what? All those people are back, and they're excited, and they want fed again. They want another miracle. They want more uh, food multiplied. They're ready to gorge on another miracle. More food. Jesus, do it for us again. And so he's like, I'm not going to do it again. I'm not, I'm not coming right now to establish my kingdom to give you this better lifestyle and to fix all, all, all the problems that you think I need to fix. I've come for your biggest problem, your sin problem. And he's preaching the gospel to them, and, and, he's, and he's trying to, to convince them that the miracles aren't the point. The miracles aren't the point. We have an obsession with miracles. We always want to make the miracles a point. We want more miracles. But Jesus constantly tells those people, the miracle isn't the point. I'm preaching the gospel to you. I'm the point. What does he say to them? I am the bread of life. It's about me. I am, I'm here to solve your biggest problem that you don't even realize is your biggest problem. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And he just kept teaching, and he kept teaching, and he kept teaching, and they just wanted a miracle. They just wanted a miracle. They just wanted a miracle. And he gets frustrated with them, and they're getting frustrated with him, and they all leave. 
They're done. He's trying to say, I'm the main course. You're trying to settle for snacks. I'm the main course. I'm the bread of life. I'm the Messiah. But they're not interested in the Jesus stuff. They they just want the miracle. So this is one of... This problem that existed in New Testament time is something we can't overlook because it's the same problem we tend to have today as we live out our faith. We all want good fortune. We all want good things to happen in our life. And so people oftentimes dip their toe in Christianity with the hopes of better fortune. Maybe if I become a Christian, my problems will all go away. Maybe if I become a Christian, God will show me more favor and the the type of favor that I feel like I need and my life will be better and all these practical ways and all these problems will be solved. And and then they come to the faith thinking that they won't have any more bad days or, or they'll have fewer bad days. And what happens when you live your life as a Christian? You still have bad days. We live in a sinful world. We battle sin. Even after we're, we become believers. But people that are just dipping their toe in the water and, and they're just so focused on, on, on just good fortune that they, that they, they try to dip their toe in, in, in the world of Christianity and, and when they have those bad days anyway, they decide, well, I guess, I guess it didn't work. I guess it just didn't work because I still got problems. And they leave. That's what happens to this day still. And it's what happened in that moment in John 6. In John chapter 6, verse 66, 666, yes, that's, uh, it's an easy one to remember. It says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. He taught them truth and he taught them difficult truth in John chapter 6. It's one of the reasons that I love that chapter so much, so much about the gospel in that chapter. And it's so difficult to, to digest. And they, they didn't want to have it. They wanted the miracles, but they didn't care so much about the truth. They just wanted the miracles. And so when he wouldn't deliver on the miracles, they just left. Now we know that when it says many of his disciples turned their back and left, the 12 stayed, but there were several disciples of Jesus. The crowds become disinterested, and many of the disciples beyond the 12 become disinterested as well, and they just leave. He looks at them, and he's like, you're going to leave now? And And the 12 apostles know enough. They're like, where should we go? Yeah, this, is, this is where truth is. This is the only place it exists. But people, people want to gorge on the snacks of the Christian faith. And when you gorge on the snacks of the Christian faith, you're going to become famished and you're going to fall away. If you don't gorge on the main course, this will never amount to what you think it's going to amount to. Because it's all about Jesus. If it's not all about Jesus... Then, then you're fooling yourself. You know, we, we have to bring it back to the gospel of Jesus Christ each and every Sunday at the journey so that you can be nourished. We can't survive on, the, on these snacks. I mean, you know, when I preach a sermon, sometimes I will give good tips on life. And those are great. Those aren't bad. You might get good tips on life. And, and even biblically based good tips on life. That's a good thing. You might get prayers answered. You may pray for things and problems in your life, and and you may have those prayers answered. That's a wonderful thing. We believe in the power of prayer here. 
you may come here and, and, and find community and some friends, and that's what we want. We want you to find community here. We want you to have people in your life investing in you and you investing in other people. That's a great thing. You may love the praise band. You may love the kids' ministry. I might even make you laugh a couple of times when you come to church and you feel good and you're, you're glad, and maybe I lifted your spirits a little bit. Those are all snacks. Snacks are fine, but it's not the main course. We are here for the bread of life. That's Jesus. He lived for you. He died for you. He's interceding for you right now. And he's coming back for us. Gorge on that truth today. That's the point. That, you know, people ask me routinely as well, why does your church take communion every single Sunday? I was just asked last week, you guys do communion every Sunday? Why do you do communion every Sunday? Because it has to come back to the gospel of Jesus every Sunday. That's why we're here. We're here for the main course. The main course is the gospel of Jesus Christ and communion is where we remember that. We take that bread to remember the life he lived for us. We take that juice to remember the sins that were atoned for on the cross. And we are nourished by that truth and we are fulfilled and satisfied by that truth. So you can gorge on that truth with us today or you can slowly wither away feeding on the snacks of Christianity. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful to be corrected over and over again by your word. Because, Lord, I want to make it about the miracles, too. I, I, I want to I have the best life I can possibly have right now. I want my problems fixed. I want you to answer every prayer that I uh, pray to you. Lord, I, I, I want those things, too. But, Lord, ultimate fulfillment ultimate satisfaction lord is is in the gospel that you preach it's in the gospel that you brought and preached and lived out and lord that's what we want to gorge on today lord i just pray that, that as we go into a time of communion that we could just be corrected and nourished by that truth that we could that we could truly feel the sense of fulfillment that we should as we focus on your gospel lord we know salvation is there and Lord, we're, we just pray that we could make this about what we should make it about, the main course, the bread of life. And so, Lord, bless us in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.